The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much, man. It's been a wild, wild week, but let's get into it. whole lot going on, right? Yeah, yep. I guess the score uh, last week when we were doing this, we didn't know the score, but the score everybody cares about is Joe Biden a lot, Donald Trump a little bit. Yay, America. Yes. <laughs> we're brought to you by the CSPN. You can find us on the web at CSPN.us. You can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, all the usual suspects. All you have to do is just look up KTS Pod dash the CSPN. All right, man, we will start with another championship being handed out, captured this time in the NASCAR world as 24-year-old Chase Elliott, son of Bill Elliott, wins his first NASCAR championship. He dominated the race out of Phoenix, came from the back of the field after he failed an inspection and had to start at the rear, drove up through the field to lead a lot of laps and win the race. Thus becoming this year's 2020 NASCAR champion. He's the third youngest champion in history, and he becomes the f- uh, first most popular driver to win the championship since his father did it uh, back in the 80s. Yeah, back in the 80s. So big up to Chase Elliott uh, on the day where Jimmy Johnson officially retired from NASCAR and hung up his helmet. Chase Elliott wins his first NASCAR championship. So, you know, basically the torch has been passed. Chase Elliott is officially the face of NASCAR now. Um, Like I said, this is probably what the sport has really needed uh, in terms of growing the popularity of the sport. He is the most popular driver on the sport. And for the most popular driver to come away with the championship, uh, is very as it should be a very encouraging sign for NASCAR. Uh, for years, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, held that title as the most popular driver, but uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. never won the championship. And Kevin Harvick, uh, fellow competitor, thought that that maybe hurt uh, NASCAR in the in the two thousands. Uh, whereas, you know, it could have elevated uh, NASCAR to another realm of Dale Earnhardt Jr. would would have captured a championship or two or three there to just kind of um, seal up, you know, the most popular driver and, you know, a championship driver in the same tone. But uh, Chase Elliott has accomplished that. And, man, he's got a really, really, really bright future ahead of himself being so young, capturing the championship. I mean, usually it doesn't really work this way. A lot of guys usually win a big race like the Daytona 500 or the Brickyard 400 before they win the championship in their career. But uh, Chase has won this championship so i'm looking for nascar to really start off next year with a lot of momentum uh michael jordan's going to be in the sport um as the owner for uh bubba wallace's uh car so i expect 23 
Yeah, I expect to see a lot of people interested in the Daytona 500 uh, in February uh, when it's time to roll them back out again. Um, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Bubba Wallace wins that race. He's been racing really, really well in the restricted plate races. He's uh, figured out how to get to the end of the races. He's figured out how to lead uh, the races and then last to the end. The only thing he's got to work on is when he gets to the front, maintaining his position. Uh, he really had a really good shot. The second Talladega race uh, this year, he was leading with about uh, eight or nine laps to go. Um but he just doesn't have quite enough experience being the leader in those type of races at those big restrictor plate tracks on how to keep the field behind him. Uh, he had a really good shot at winning the second Daytona race back in July, uh, back at the end of August. Uh, he was making a move to take the lead, and uh, Joey Logano uh, got clipped and ended up wrecking him as he was streaking past him to take the lead and end up getting clipped and wrecked in that race. So, yeah, Bubba Wallace has got, uh, if you've been watching his progression on those restrictive plate tracks, which are, you know, the races where dark horses have their best chance to win, he's really becoming a very good restrictive plate racer. And uh, Daytona just may be the race that he gets because he's been really close the last two. Absolutely. And then also... Uh, also, you know, with basically, you know, your owner with one of the best teams in the technical alliance with uh, Joe Gibbs, uh, Toyotas have done very well in restricted play races. So uh, this definitely does enhance the opportunity for uh, Bubba Wallace to win at Daytona. Yeah, I would. I would definitely also say. Uh, you know, for uh, back on Chase Elliott, I I do agree with you, uh, Don, in the fact that this is where NASCAR needs to strike while the iron's hot in terms of you got your most popular driver that's won. Uh, you've had, you know, you've had the, uh, you're going to have a, basically, you've had a new audience this summer with uh, everything involving Bubba Wallace and now with Michael Jordan getting involved with the, with uh, NASCAR and with uh, Bubba Wallace being the driver, this definitely is a golden opportunity for a new audience and for NASCAR to definitely capitalize on, on this too. So I could even see some Jordan brand racing gear, in the future oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah you you know jordan got the apparel coming um just some other nascar notes cal larson has been has been reinstated and he has been chosen by rick hendrick to drive the original hendrick car number number five so um i don't really know how man in full honesty, Kyle Larson was my favorite driver. Like I was like Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace. Those are my two guys. And you know the comments that he made earlier this year and everything that got caught on the uh, the, the the video stream or whatever. Yeah, man, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I don't know if he got to learn anything because yeah, he got suspended indefinitely or whatever. But then he gets reinstated, and not only does he get reinstated, he upgrades from where he was at. 
Right. He still got to go where everybody thought he was going to go, which is Hendrick, which is he went from um, the second, the yeah, Chip, Chip Ganassi, who, who had probably the bet, the second best Chevy team overall to go into the best Chevy team now. So, you know, I, I don't know how I really feel about that. I would have liked to see him maybe have to go race for a smaller team, kind of, you know, have a little bit harder route back to the top, top, top of the sport. But he's, yeah. he's going to be in that number five next year. Um, they're going to have to yeah. do a, a lot of work to, to gain some sponsors and, and get that ride funded uh, because he doesn't, oh, yeah, he, doesn't he doesn't have anybody uh, with him. Um, unlike some other people that they were maybe looking at to join Hendrick. Um, Alex Bowman, the driver of the 88, is going to shift over to the 48, and I guess they're going to kind of retire the 88 uh, from the fleet uh, starting next year. Um, I guess maybe that'll be kind of a tribute to Dale Earnhardt Jr. since he's going into the Hall of Fame this year, and that was his number um, while he drove for Hendrick Motorsports. Um, let's see if there's anything else. Um, Eric Jones is going to take over for Bubba Wallace uh, in the 43 over at Richard Petty Racing. And um, who's taking? I forgot who was taking his spot. I don't know if they've announced. Which team was he on? He was on Gibbs. Uh, I'm actually looking that up now. I don't know if they've announced if they're going to bring up one of their. Um, if they're gonna bring up one of their Xfinity guys, or if they're gonna to try to, um, you know, Christopher Bell. Oh, Christopher Bell. Right, right. I forgot about yeah. Christopher Bell. Yeah, yeah. He was on a kind of a satellite team uh, this year, so he's yeah, our research and development. Right. So now he's gonna move over and uh, take Eric Jones's spot uh, in the twenty. Clint Boyer is retiring to join the Fox NASCAR booth. Uh, That'll be a good analyst. Yeah, he him he did a couple of the uh, the virtual races with Jeff Gordon, and and they seem to have a really good chemistry there. So um, you know, Clint Boyer, congratulations to him on a on a long career, and uh, so he's going to now become an analyst and join Fox. So yeah, Chase of, Briscoe taking over. Yeah, Chase Briscoe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Chase Briscoe uh, put a lot of pressure on himself. Said he had to win uh, seven to eight races in the Xfinity Series for his career to kind of continue and move forward. I think he won like ten or eleven. Um, he was really dominant this year in that Xfinity Series. So, um, good luck to him moving forward next year, moving up uh, to Cup. So. NASCAR is in their off season, um, and uh, we'll hear back from those boys. And, yeah, the, we'll hear back from those guys in February when they crank them up again for the Daytona 500. Next, we'll go over to college football, and uh, yeah, man, if you didn't know that the virus was real and that you know we're in a second spike. Maybe this will be the thing that, that kind of clues you in as LSU versus Alabama, Auburn versus Mississippi State, Texas A&M versus Tennessee, and Georgia versus Missouri are all postponed due to complications from the coronavirus. Um, so basically, that's like the, the whole SEC slate for this weekend wiped off the map. <laughs> 
it was funny because uh, shout out to my homegirl Lad. She was like, "Is there any SEC games this weekend?" And I was like, "Yeah, Vandy, Kentucky, South Carolina, Ole Miss. Ar- is I think it's South Carolina, Ole Miss, and Arkansas and Florida." Right, right. Um, SEC has already said that if need be, they would play. Um, games on the day of their championship game to kind of make up for any games lost if there was one team who needed to play an extra game here or there to complete the season. The only foul-up with that is is, is now that Alabama is going to have to miss this game with LSU. There's no way that Alabama can be in two places at once. So, um, you know, we may just come down to a thing where Alabama has only played – 11, has only played 11 games in the regular season, and then the person they're playing for the title has played their full 12, and then here's you know Texas A&M or somebody right there who didn't get a chance to play their extra game to maybe see if they could get a tiebreaker or something like that. So uh, it's going to be some interesting um, logistics around the SEC if they lose any more games uh, to the virus. But, uh, you know, I guess this is the nightmare scenario that all athletic directors and conference uh, commissioners um, have been dreading that they, you know, you lose half of your, your your scheduled games on a weekend due to an outbreak. So, yeah. And Ohio State and Maryland's postponed for the as well because of a spike in Maryland's program. Okay. <laughs> so, we all knew especially without a bubble type of situation for football, that it was going to be really, really hard for them to get their season all the way in completed. And with the time of year that these sports are being played, and now that we've seen how, you know, we hadn't even gotten to the actual cold, cold part of the year yet where everybody's going to be like, going outside. Mm-hmm. Imagine what's going to happen in like a couple more weeks once the weather really shifts and and you know it's forty five degrees and now it's pretty outside uh, where people are going to be more inside and trying to figure out more inside activities to do. So yeah, but hopefully all those young men, coaches, staff members, and everybody, you know, nobody has a serious case. They get everything under control, treated. Nobody has any serious. Um, after effects as well and um, you know they can you know live happy and healthy lives going forward uh, we'll shift over to what's ha- what happened on the field but still the virus had an effect on it as Trevor Lawrence missed the game against Notre Dame which led to Notre Dame defeating Clemson 47 to 40 in double overtime. The young freshman quarterback for Clemson had to lead them back in the fourth quarter uh, to get them a, a, a lead. And then Notre Dame was able to tie it up and force the overtime. Uh, they had an exchange of field goals in that overtime. Then we had the touchdown by Notre Dame. Clemson turned the ball over on their next drive to try to tie it up and set it into a triple overtime. And Notre Dame. Created a whole nother outbreak with the whole celebration (laughs) on the field. Notre Dame finds themselves right in the middle of the national championship conversation as they have defeated Clemson. Uh, They are the number one team in the ACC as the standings currently sit. 
And it looks like they may be on a collision course to face Clemson again in Charlotte uh, in a few weeks when the season ends. But, uh, you know, it looks like Book for the quarterback for Notre Dame has finally figured things out. He's not the prettiest quarterback, but he's gotten a lot more efficient. Um, Notre Dame was able to run the ball against Clemson and kind of control the game early on. But, you know, once Clemson made a few plays on defense and got their ball back to their offense, ATN and the freshman quarterback rallied them. Um, this was a heck of a game. This was a really good contest. And, you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, um, you know, this is the best that they've looked in a long time since they got yeah. smashed against Alabama uh, about a decade ago. Uh, in the national semifinal game, yeah, and I, I guess I could say I was right. I did think they were going to win, and they did. Um, but this was a—we uh, definitely have to see how it will be when uh, Lawrence comes back into the fold. I'll definitely be a completely different story but you know this is the first time the Irish like you said in a very long time that they've been in the national championship conversation like they are so I definitely want to see how they handle you know being in that conversation it's one thing to get there can you maintain and stay there and and so now you got to basically, you know, after a thrilling game, you got to continue to get the work and continue to play well because, you know, if you're trying to get to uh, the ACC title game in Charlotte, you got to definitely, um, you know, put in that work. I will also say that if you're a Clemson fan, despite this loss, you're heavily encouraged by what this young quarterback has been doing um, and, and what he can do in the future. Um, you know, in the post-Trevor Lawrence era, this this kid has really been playing well. I need to get his name so I can, um, you know, stop saying this young quarterback. But DJ, uh, <laughs> DJ is all you need. It's, it's like, oh, man – I haven't heard it in a week, so I had it last week. It's like Ayabungale, I think is how you say it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would definitely say this, though, like, this, this, uh, yeah, you're definitely going to be in a great position because you're definitely going to be in a great position uh, it, there's like no what's the word there's no um, there's going to be no drop off right and he's and, getting invaluable experience to play in some major big time games as a freshman that he normally that he definitely wouldn't have gotten uh, if Trevor Lawrence is healthy and plays the whole season I mean you know blow out okay you go in there and you may you know get some mop up duty or whatever but nah he's going against number one defenses teams or game planning to try to stop him 
So next year, you know, his transition into becoming the starter quarterback should go really smooth as far as, yeah. you know, he has experience. He's seen some things. He understands what he needs to do to prepare uh, mentally and physically for the for the games uh, through practice and everything like that. So, you know, there's always a, a, a silver lining in every dark cloud, and that, and that should definitely be what Clemson takes away uh, from this time without Trevor Lawrence. It was the weekend for the world's largest cocktail party in down in Jacksonville, Florida. Where social distance. <laughs> where Florida dismantles Georgia 44 to 28 um, for the last 15, 20 years. I mean, it's the same old story. No matter how good Florida thinks they are, they come down to the cocktail party, and most times than not, uh, Florida lets them know that they still ain't ready yet. So, um, yeah, basically par for the course uh, for Georgia. Um, they just don't have quite enough firepower when it comes to their offensive uh, receiving core. They got some really good running backs. Their quarterback looks like he could be, you know, efficient, but they don't really have any outside playmakers, not the way that Florida does. I mean, uh, Kyle Trask. A lot of people aren't talking about him because they're talking about Justin Fields. They're talking about Trevor Lawrence. But Kyle Trask may be that guy that somebody gets, uh, you know, at 12 or something because a lot of these teams have quarterbacks already that may end up being the guy that everybody's like, how did he go so low? Yeah, like a Ryan Tannehill. Uh, Yeah, or like a Patrick Mahomes, a guy that everybody was like, yeah, I see the – the physical talents, but I just don't know about the system, and I just don't know about you know, yeah. you know this or that and the third. See what happened to Patrick Mahomes was this: he went to the perfect person for him because Andy Reid was Brett Favre's quarterback coach when Brett Favre was young and wild and would try anything on the football field, and now he yeah. gets Patrick Mahomes, who's young and talented and wild, and will try anything on the football field, and he can just revert back to all the lessons he taught Brett. Like, hey, you know what I'm saying? If you have to do that, I understand, but let's try to operate this way so you don't have to do all those crazy things. <laughs> right. And uh, MVP, Super Bowl MVP, and Super Bowl later, here we go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, look out for Kyle Trask uh, to move up uh, the draft boards once uh, people start, uh, you know, the the combine stuff gets going and people get a chance to uh, get his measurables and see him up close. Um, I think a lot of people may be contributing uh, his success to, uh, I can't think of Florida's, their wide receiver slash tight end guy that they've got that's really good. Uh, a lot of people are just thinking just because he has that mismatch every week that that's what's making Kyle Trask really good. But, no, Kyle Trask is a really good quarterback. I like him. And uh, Florida, you know, they look like that day when the uh, rankings come out on Thanksgiving, if they can keep this up, looks like they're going to be uh, part of the mix uh, for the college football playoff this year too. So, Resurgence down there in Florida. And then our last big college football news of the week, Liberty has done it again. They went up to Virginia Tech. They shocked the Hokies in Blacksburg 38-35. to Liberty is undefeated. They're a non-Power 5 team that may 
actually creep up into the college football playoff right now. the party. Yeah, they are currently ranked number 25 in the AP polls. So they've at least started to get some um, recognition from the people who vote for the AP poll. Uh, you know, so this is basically this year's, you know, South Florida, um, the team that, you know, just – below the radar but keeps winning and keeps beating these teams that they shouldn't and they've gone on the road and beat some teams that a lot of people think they shouldn't so um you know as long as they can keep themselves grounded stay focused and continue to put the work in and get these wins man there's no telling what could happen uh, at the end of the year and it's time for uh, major bowls to start getting teams that you know we can have liberty show up in a place that you know normally they would uh, never be so um, I'm definitely going to be checking them out for the rest of the year. And hey, that's you freezes liberties, ain't it? Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. So, um, good, good for those kids, and uh, hopefully they can keep it the, the success uh, going and uh, have a magical season. It's always fun to see especially in college sports, uh, somebody come in and crash the party uh, and, and play, you know, with the big boys when they weren't expected to. Oh, uh, yeah, the tight end for Florida, Kyle Pitts. There you go, Kyle Pitts. Yes, yes, yes. He's going to be a first-round pick for sure. He is a big, strong, fast young man, and he is a matchup problem. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm here with the my co-host, the Libra icon. Now we're going to shift the talk into the National Football League as we got our second matchup between Drew Brees and Tom Brady this season. And it wasn't <laughs> even close. The Saints dismantled the Bucks 38-3 for a season sweep. Uh, it was like 30 to nothing at halftime. Um... Tom Brady did manage at least a field goal not to get shut out for the first time in his career. Um, this was a game that definitely I did not see coming. I expected, you know, somebody to score 38. I just expected somebody else to score 35 or 41. Um, did not see 38 to 3 coming. Did not see the Bucks defense getting worked like that uh, after the last few weeks that they've been on the tear. Uh, definitely didn't see the Saints defense just totally working um, the Buccaneers, you know. I mean, yeah. the first game, okay, you know what I'm saying? They, no preseason, no training camp, you know, Tom Brady, new team, everything like that. First game against the Saints, he struggles. Okay, I get that, learning everybody. But now that we've had, you know, eight games or, or you know, seven games up until this game, and they've started to look like they found their way, they had a B there for that game, um, their receiving core was starting to get a little bit healthier. It looked like that they were maybe starting to hit their stride over the past couple of weeks with some wins and some uh, big point totals. Uh, and they just came out here and got worked. Behind the woodshed. And that was that was a beatdown of epic proportions. I didn't see that coming either. Um, I didn't watch this game because I really didn't care about either team, honestly. So, But I had fantasy interests in this game, and those fantasy interests did nothing for me. So thank you, Leonard, for that. Uh, here's looking at you. Um, yeah, this was... 
one of those where you put the Simpsons meme that, you know, stop, stop, he's dead already, like, uh, by halftime. That's really how that went. And I just think that, you know, the Saints have been, you know, the one of the NFC's elite for the last several years. It's just kind of just been, can they get over the hump into the uh, Super Bowl. I mean, we had the the um, pass interference that wasn't with the Rams a couple years ago. Then, then they got eliminated again in the playoffs. But you, they always seem to be that regular season elite team. Uh, Drew Brees is doing this, you know, with the bang they're receiving core like. Michael Thomas playing for the first time in weeks. Uh, He's playing with a lot of, you know, a lot of young and no-name receivers. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders came back recently after he had the COVID bout. Alvin Kamara has been healthy. That's been the main weapon right there. So the, the Saints are there, but can they do it when it counts and that's going to be the main concern there especially for those fans the Miami Dolphins don't look now but they've won like three in a row they're something like five and two yeah um, behind Tua uh, he got two touchdown passes to outduel Kyler Murray 34-31, a uh, really entertaining game back and forth. You get to see the future of the quarterback position uh, on display in this game. Uh, man, Kyler Murray with a beautiful rainbow pass down to uh, DeAndre Hawkins for one of his long touchdowns in that game. That was a beauty of a pass. Uh, Tua Tonga-Valoa, uh, the first game, you know, rather pedestrian, less than 50% completion, didn't really have to do a lot. In this game, though, he was like 20 for 28, uh, 250 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. So it seems like everything that they told us about Tua – from his practices and and everything leading up that he's been doing into the season is translating uh, into the games now. And, um, you know, he still has the advantage of having, you know, no real film out on him and they have film on everybody. Uh, so we'll see uh, what it's looking like in a couple of more weeks. But the Dolphins, they look like they're trying to put themselves in the mix to make a run here and be, uh, you know, part of the playoff mix this year. We do have seven teams getting into the playoffs. So the Dolphins in the seventh may, spot. Yeah, the Dolphins uh, may be able to hold on to that seventh spot and um, really get their rebuild, you know, up and running. Um, really impressed by the Dolphins uh, this year. Um, keep throwing that ball to Preston Williams to keep throwing that ball to Preston Williams. That's my fantasy concerns. Um, Again, Kyler Murray uh, was sensational in this game. Uh, Ever since that Dallas game where they blew Dallas out, but he didn't play that well, he has been lighting it up. So um, Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, great coaching quarterback combination. Um, You know, sometimes you just have to get you a, a, a quarterback that fits your coach or a coach that fits your quarterback. And Arizona did that, and uh, they're starting to reap the benefits. And um, 
they also are reaping the benefits of Bill O'Brien just being brain dead and giving them uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So that definitely has helped out the development of uh, Kyler Murray. Right, right. Uh, Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills coming off that huge win at home over the Patriots last week. Follow that up with a win over the Seahawks, 44-33. to uh, They forced Russell Wilson into turnovers. I think he had three turnovers on the day. Uh, and that's basically the, the way the formula to beat Seattle at this point is you're just going to have to get Russ to get out of character and uh, and give you some give you some turnovers because I mean the way that they're scoring on offense Seattle, um, it's amazing. But they have such a porous defense and such a porous pass defense that it's you know if Russell basically has to play flawless every week to keep them close enough to be in these games for him to win it at the end. And uh, this was a week where he just had too many personal turnovers. Yeah, and and it sucks for Buffalo because. You think it's seven and two that would be number one or number two in the AFC, but you got Pittsburgh and Kansas City right above them. Uh, but yeah, this this uh, all you gotta do is just put an air raid assault on the Seahawks, and that's your best you know chance of beating them on the defensive side. Get it into a shootout, uh, and you know make Russell Wilson. Uh, turn the ball over like he's like he said uh one of the things that i just love what josh allen has been doing is he's more accurate on his throws uh for his first few years accuracy was the main problem for his uh career i mean he could throw the ball and he can run like nobody's business but he could not hit the side of the barn if his life depended on it but uh, he has definitely improved on his accuracy this season and and the Bills are really showing the uh, benefits of you know the building of the culture by Sean McDermott and 7-2 and two playing very well uh, I haven't seen a Bills team this good in quite some time, and if anybody deserves a a, a good team, uh, it's definitely the Bills fans. So, shout out to the shout out to Buffalo on that one. Right, right. The Baltimore Ravens they bounced back, and they actually got a comfort behind victory this week. Well, I mean, it really wasn't that big of a comeback, but still, uh, they bounced back with a twenty four ten win over the Colts. Um, Pretty impressive uh, because the Colts defense has really been playing really well. They're one of the better defenses this year. Uh, they had a, a lead early in this game, but the Ravens were, were able to keep fighting. Uh, they forced Phillip Rivers into some turnovers, and that helped him get back into the game. And then uh, Lamar and the offense was, were able to make just enough plays there uh, to get the 24-10 win. Um, saw something today where Lamar was on the Rich Eisen show, and he's basically saying, hey, we're becoming a little bit too predictable. People are starting to call out our plays. They know what we're doing. Um, 
It seems like this may be a Greg Roman issue because uh, when Kaepernick was playing with San Francisco after they went to the Super Bowl, that kind of was the same thing that he started kind of to uh, get out the word that, hey, you know, I think we're being a little bit too predictable. People know what we're going to do. Uh, we're not surprising uh, as many people as we were. Uh, so I don't know really what that bodes going forward for the Ravens. But it uh, looks like they're going to have to try to maybe add some more wrinkles and open up the playbook a little bit more uh, to try to catch some teams uh, more off guard and unaware. Yeah, that's a definite, that's definitely interesting uh, with, you know, being too predictable. But it's got to not be working. I mean, if you're being predictable or too predictable, but you can't stop them, then what's the point in predicting the players if you're not going to stop what they're doing? So, um, and yeah, that's definitely something uh, John Harbaugh, Greg Roman, uh, offensive staff, and, you know, the offensive personnel, they're going to have to really kind of get that going because Lamar has uh, Lamar has done he did more last year with a whole lot less and he should be honestly doing a lot more with well, they haven't. I was uh, talking with uh, Anmar Starwin about this. Uh, you can actually check out that full conversation over on the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. Uh, uh, he was asking me uh, some questions, uh, just football related, and was getting my thoughts on some things. And uh, he asked me about Lamar, and I basically told him that the deal with the Ravens is they haven't expanded their passing game outside the numbers. Everything that the Ravens do is right down the middle of the field. Uh, they run all their plays and they run a lot of the middle. Um, they they just kind of play in about a 20-yard wide box right down the middle of the field. Uh, they don't threaten the perimeters with their passing game. And when you don't do that, it becomes a lot easier to defense because even though you have a guy who can run past everybody, if you're never going to throw the ball to him when he's outside of the numbers, he's just running wind sprints. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that is gonna have to be the change that the Ravens try to try to make here. Second half of the season, let's get more of an outside the numbers vertical passing game going up, where they can get the middle of the field back open now because people understand they have to cover sideline to sideline and not just in between the hash marks. Right. Uh, the same thing was the same thing with Washington was when they had RG three. It's the same thing. I mean, if you those in breaking routes, those slants off of the read options that are breaking in, or those seam balls right up the hash, gas you every time. But when it came to having to just straight up pass the ball, like we're not gonna do any gimmicks, we're gonna just drop back five steps and throw. He couldn't throw the ball to the outside. He didn't have an outside passing game. He didn't like to throw the ball to guys with anticipation on those uh, out routes and those deep comebacks and those curls and those uh, in-breaking square squaring routes and things like that. And those are the type of routes that you have to be able to throw in the NFL. you got to be able to throw corner routes. you got to be able to throw comebacks. you got to be able to throw deep out. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. just to keep the defenses honest. Because once they realize that you're not going to throw the ball outside the numbers, man, they start shrinking everything down, and um, and they can really put the clamps on you. Um, in an unexpectedly very entertaining game that was a lot closer than the experts would have thought, the Panthers, they pushed the Chiefs to their limits uh, in a 33 33- was it 33 or 34 to 31? 33, 31. Yeah, 33 to 31 loss. Um, Christian McCaffrey was back for this game. He looked rather spry, got into the end zone a couple of times. But, unfortunately for the Panthers, he did suffer a shoulder injury, and he is not expected to play this week. So it might be time to maybe think about shutting Christian McCaffrey down for this season and just be like, hey, bro. We'll come back and see you next year. Get healthy um, because uh, he's the highest paid running back. He's the best player on your team, and he's only played two games. And he hasn't – well, three games. And he hasn't made it through uh, three games, you know? Yeah. <sighs> so, um, to – I hate football right now. Um, <laughs> but – I saw some good things out of this game. Um, the The first half, and it was really that's what really what it came down to is the tail two halves. Um, the first half was really about ball control. The Panthers had the opening drive for nine minutes. So, basically, it was kind of like keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. So, you you can't really – he can't do no damage if he's not on the field. Right. So, that was my first – I was impressed by that. Uh, Then, I was also impressed by the – Schemes that Phil Snow. Phil Snow doesn't blitz that much, but he was putting pressure on Mahomes early on, and and that kind of had a that kind of was throwing them off on the game as well. And so when Carolina went up, uh, you know they were doing a lot of good things. Then halftime happened, and then when the teams came out for the second half. All the things that Carolina did in the first half, they did not do in the second half, especially the third quarter. Um, Mahomes started finding holes in the coverage. Uh, we already know Carolina's in the to- they already have a bad running defense as it is. That got exposed. And that's really how they got the Chiefs got back in the game. Um, I will say this, and I said it last week, uh, Joey Sly has a huge, um, powerful kicking foot because if he had the direction on that field goal, the, we'd be talking about an upset. It was it was well to the right, but it had the distance. That was from sixty seven. So sixty seven. Good God! You saw if you saw how you saw it went to the right, but you saw he had a whole lot of a whole lot of different distance 
uh, on that kick. That's one of them Madden YOLO field goals when you just be like, right. oh, yeah, I got to try to at least try to get the win and take it into overtime, and I can't go for it right. on fourth and 25. So. <laughs> it, and that's, that's where it was, you know, like that. And, and they do they, – Panthers don't go down the field that much. A lot of their receiving yards come via run after the catch. So me kind of envisioning Teddy Bridgewater throwing it down the field late in the game like that, I did not see that uh, really happening. So, yeah, uh, putting Sly out there for a 67-yard attempt, uh, it did go wide, but it had plenty of distance on it. Uh, if we just had the direction, uh, be a different story. Um, it's been – these losses, I think it's not the fact that, you know, they've lost. It's the way that these losses have occurred. Um, and I think that's kind of the frustrating part of the situation because – um, if you look at it, the last four losses, they lost to the Bears by seven, lost to the Saints by three, lost to the Falcons by eight, and lost to the Chiefs by two. They've been in these games or have had, or have had, you know, the Bears game, they were behind, but they stayed in it. The Saints, they were behind, they stayed in it. The Falcons, they were behind, but the Chiefs and they were up. So a lot of these games, you know, they've been in it, and five of the six losses have been one-score games. So what they need to work on is finding way to finding ways to, you know, either overtake the lead or hold on to the lead, uh, because. You know, they lost to the Raiders in week one by four. The only game where they lost in double digits is the team they're playing on Sunday, the Bucks. They lost to them by 14 in Tampa. So there's there's promise, but there's still a lot of work that's left to be done, though. But I think as a Panther fan, and I think, uh, uh, you know, most Panther fans would say coming into the season – uh, with the loss of Cam, the loss of Rivera, the loss of Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, with um, the secondary being in shambles and kind of getting restructured last year. I think a lot of people thought that they were going to be like top three in the draft bad. But yeah. Matt Rule has come in and uh, proven that his offense does work in the NFL. Him and Joe Brady have come up with something um, a little bit hybrid for college and NFL. They've um, discovered some receivers, some more receivers, that they really never did during the Cam Newton era, so that's good. Uh, where DJ Moore isn't like, you know, just the only guy out there now. So they got, you know, Curtis Samuels is starting to emerge and things like that. Um, Christian McCaffrey not being healthy has really kind of stymied them because if he does play in all those games that you rattled off that were one-score games, he's probably a really big difference maker in those mm-hmm. games. So I would be very encouraged if I was a Panther fan. And and, uh, and Robbie Anderson has been a yes. monster too. Yes, yes. So I, I would be highly encouraged that they are much farther along uh 
towards being, you know, a playoff team and back in the mix than anybody would expect it. Uh, if you would have polled people back in June, uh, once they saw the roster and the makeup of what they had coming into the training camp or whatever, you know, virtual training camps uh, that they had. So um, I'll be very encouraged if I was Carolina, um, you know, do you expect it not to win a lot of games this year? It just sucks that when you expect not to win a lot of games and not get blown out and you lose these close ones, yeah, it does make it a little bit harder to take. Like, you know, yeah. it makes you be like, man, maybe we aren't rebuilding. Maybe we are, you know, uh, uh, good enough to, to, to make it into the back end of the playoffs in this yeah. year. And I also want to say to Panther fans, when's the last time – Carolina's had a quarterback that's had a 72% completion percentage. <laughs> Steve Berline, I'll wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, Let's see. <laughs> Gary like, Collins, nope. Um, nope. Jake DeLone, definitely nope. nope. Uh, Cam Newton, uh, nope. well, his best season was like 68, and that was like a couple of years ago when Norv first got yeah. there. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really, you know, I, I, I've really been, you know, impressed with what Teddy Bridgewater has done, um, all season. It's, you know, and like I said, I mean, these, they've been in these games this whole time, so, um, it's just, it's just if they can find ways to kind of close the games out, then, then um, they'll be a lot better off. But it, it, like I said, it's definitely it's in, it's frustrating, but then it, it's also encouraging at the same time, considering where a lot of people thought they would be. Right, right. Um, my beloved Washington football team. They do not have the formula or the recipe to beat Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, 3-0 and against Washington, 1-16 against everybody else in the NFL. Daniel Jones, turnover machine a week ago against the Bucks, which led to their loss. Daniel Jones this week, clean sheet, no turnovers. Um, unfortunately for Washington, they had five turnovers. Uh, first offensive play of the game resulted in a nice 20-yard pickup, then a fumble that rolled another 26 yards because uh, <laughs> nobody could get on it. And then the, the Giants were able to pounce on it, um, and so they were able to capitalize there. Then Washington makes a stop, punt, punt gets kicked to them. Their punt returner muffs the punt. Another turnover leads directly to a touchdown. So then – uh, they start to finally get some things going, and disaster strikes. Jabril Peppers comes on a blitz off the outside. Antonio Gibson does not do a good job stepping up and meeting uh, uh, Peppers. Um, he goes around him. Kyle Allen tries to escape to the outside. Jabril Peppers' legs whip Kyle Allen in the lower leg and shin, and Kyle Allen suffers a dislocated and fractured ankle. And he is done for the season. Alex Smith has to come in in relief. Uh, Alex Smith actually did play a lot better than he did 
uh, in the first uh, in the Rams game when he had to come in after Kyle Allen got hit on the sideline and got a concussion. Uh, he rallied the team for a nice touchdown drive, a couple of touchdown drives there, put up 20 points. Uh, but Alex Smith fell victim to the turnover bug himself. New York Giants started to put a little bit of pressure on him and uh, forced him into two bad turnovers late in the game uh, to seal the win. So now Washington moving forward has lost Kyle Allen, who looked like he was starting to get comfortable in the starting spot, was starting to make some plays uh, for that offense and getting guys like Terry McLaurin and and uh, Cam Sims and things like that more involved in the game. Uh, but now we turn to Alex Smith. Uh, So, uh, you know, two-year journey from broken leg, nearly losing the leg, infections, and all these surgeries to now starting this week against Detroit. Um, Dwayne Haskins has now been elevated back up to the backup quarterback. So there's a very good chance at some point, uh, either due to ineffectiveness by Alex Smith or just injury, uh, because our offensive line does have some problems um, at points. Um, Dwayne Haskins may get another chance to prove to Ron Rivera and this coaching staff that, you know, he is a good player. He's done the work to clean up his mechanics and, you know, put in the extra film study and and is into the playbook. And, you know, maybe we won't have to go looking for a franchise quarterback. Maybe he still is on the roster, but just an unfortunate uh, set of events for Kyle Allen. Seems like uh, his time with Washington has just been, you know, he got hurt in the first start, uh, came back, got a win over the Cowboys, looked pretty decent. Then they had a bye week, and then uh, he, he, they lost to the Giants because uh, they went for two in the second start. Uh, then they beat Dallas, and they had the bye week, and then he gets out here and plays a quarter, and now he's done for the season. So, uh, hopefully he recovers and um, he's able to come back next year and uh, be a contributor because if this Dwayne Haskins things doesn't work out for Washington, I personally would not be opposed to going with Kyle Allen for another year. Um, I didn't think he did anything to, to, to warrant to be benched or to lose a job. I thought the offense was more efficient. They had a, a basically like 500% increase on um, third down conversion rate over when Dwayne Haskins was in the game. Um, they've been able to score at least 20 or more points in the last three games. So, you know, things were definitely on an uptick with Allen behind center. Um, again, just unfortunate that he, you know, now he's injured just when he was starting to look like he was going to have a really big day against the New York football giants. Uh, this week, the Washington football team better put the big boy pads on. Because uh, Adrian Peterson is coming downhill, and he's trying to run over everybody to let them know that they should have kept him on this football team. So uh, it's going to be real personal for Adrian Peterson. It's, maybe it's we'll, Adrian Peterson revenge tour. Yeah, maybe we will be blessed with the good fortune of Matthew Stafford missing the game due to COVID, but I'm not going to bank on it. Yeah, I think Stafford played last week, didn't he? Yeah, yeah I think so. I think he did get out there. Um, four players from the Steelers, including Big Ben Roethlisberger, are under the uh, watchful eye of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the NFL right now. Uh, Pittsburgh, Coach Tomlin believes that they will be able to test negative throughout the week and be available for the game on Sunday. But, you know, it's definitely a wait-and-see uh, approach. 
Uh, when it comes to that, Steelers improved to 8-0 and for the first time in their franchise history with a comeback victory over Dallas. Uh, Big Ben did tweak his knee in that game, had to miss about a quarter or so while he got evaluated. Dallas jumped out to a surprising lead, but once Big Ben got back in the game, restored, uh, law and order was restored, and Pittsburgh, best record, maybe the best team right now in all of the NFL. Yeah, and the problem I have, I mean, you play who's on the schedule, of course, so. Um, but aside from the Titans, who were undefeated at the time, and the Ravens, I guess you could throw in the improved uh, Cleveland Browns. Eight and is eight and but it's not an impressive eight and you know. Um, I guess it's one of those. Yeah, you're eight and great, but eh, uh, it's just not a impressive eight and because you beat the Giants, you beat the Broncos, beat the Texans, beat the Eagles. For what it's worth, the Eagles are the NFC East leaders. Um, you beat the Browns, you beat the Titans, you beat the Ravens, then you beat the Cowboys, who are playing with the seventh round practice squad quarterback. Um, well, no, he didn't play. It was Garrett. Wasn't it uh, Garrett Gilbert that played on Sunday? It, it yeah, sure was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're 8-0, which is cool, but I'm not all that impressed um, by it. Um, I mean, they got – I mean, look at who they got. Probably the two biggest games is the Ravens rematch, and then they got the Bills. And those are really – then you have the Colts 5-3 and three, and the Browns again who are 5-3. and three. Other than that, Bengals, Jaguars, Washington, Bengals again. Um, I mean, they could go fifteen and one, but we have seen teams who've gone fifteen wins and fourteen wins, and you know, first game in the playoffs. Bye bye. Um, I think the marquee matchup that everybody's going to be looking forward to this week is going to be the Ravens playing the Patriots. I think that's on Sunday night football. This Sunday week. night. Yep. Sunday night. So um, I think everybody's going to be tuned in to kind of see what Bill Belichick has for Lamar. Uh, if Cam can kind of keep this little mini resurgence going uh, after that hard fought victory over the Jets where Joe Flacco turned back the clock. And uh, looked like Flacco from the Baltimore, the early Baltimore days, not the late Baltimore days, and yeah. it really gave a scare to the the Patriots. But Cam put them on the back and uh, willed the win out of them. So um, hopefully, you know that's a very good game, showcase game this week. Uh, my showcase game is actually going to be the Seahawks and Rams, uh, the four twenty five game. Um, NFC West 
division lead on the line, basically. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. I know the Rams would like to rep to run the ball and and to um, control the clock and stretch it out and do a little bootleg and and play action game, but this might be one of those games where um, old Wonder Boy Sean McVay might want to go on back to some of that air those air raid days with uh, golf, spread the field, four and five receivers. And just try to, you know, like you said, just bomb away at uh, Seattle secondary, and get a get a lead early uh, by bombing away on the secondary, and then try to make Russell Wilson has to pr- have to press where your defensive line can cause havoc, and then maybe force him into some into some turnovers because that basically is the formula for all the Seahawks losses except for the Arizona game, uh, where teams have kind of gotten up on them, made them press, and then Russell Wilson, you know trying to do a little bit too much uh, has multiple turnovers but yeah that should be very interesting and very fun as well yeah final topic some quick NBA notes um, they have agreed to return uh, on December 22nd so basically like a month and 11 days away uh, as we record here uh, they're going to have a 72-game season, uh, 10 games less than the traditional 82-game season. Um, so they've also uh, been working on some you know, alterations if need be for a playoff format just in case uh, something comes up where they need to um, alter the end of the season. Uh, so Adam Silver being very proactive and getting the NBA back up and running again. Uh, a lot of people were maybe looking at Christmas Day, maybe right after the uh, the national championship college football game that they would maybe come back. But no, Adam Silver wanted to try to come back pre-Christmas, and he's accomplished that. Uh, so NBA, December 22nd, man. Yeah, Um and, you know, we were talking before we started recording, uh, basically, you know, the Lakers raising the banner, but the Lakers basically said because there's they're not going to have fans in the arena until further notice that they're not going to raise the banner until the fans are there with them. Oh, okay. That's so, cool. Yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, so once, so once just, uh, is this gonna get the rings on opening night, or are they gonna wait? And that's what I, that's, I want. That's a good question. I'm, it doesn't say that they're gonna do the rings or not, but yeah, there's no word about the rings. But they're definitely not gonna raise the banner until the fans are in the stands. Okay. Um. Yeah, but I I think that. Yeah, I think they're going to be doing this uh, 72 games. They want to try to get the league calendar back on track. So, because they are trying to get that league calendar back on track, they're going to be doing a whole lot of... There's going to be a lot more. There's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. You know, this this go-around. And I think this is a golden opportunity for the eight teams that were not in the bubble uh, to really get a chance to to um, 
get off to a flying star. So you're looking at the Hornets, the the Hornets, the Bulls, Knicks, Pistons, Hawks, Cavs, Wolves, and Warriors. Well, the Warriors are going to be healthy again. So with the fresh number that, two pick, with a fresh number two pick, exactly. You know what I've been so, telling people about the Warriors. I've been telling people this. You know what Milwaukee should do? Don't worry about signing Giannis. Because you probably, unless you think you're going to win the championship in the next two years, it's going to be a diminishing returns, right? Mm -hmm. You sign him to a huge contract, right? Why don't you go ahead, trade him to the uh, Warriors, go ahead, get Draymond on that expiring contract, get Wiggins, and that number two pick and try to set yourself up to be good for a decade instead of trying to, you know, run through this short-term little window you got with Giannis. Because basically, if you don't get it done in the first or second year of that contract, it probably not going to happen for him. And he could go to the Warriors, get his championship, solidify himself as a made man, and go on down the line. If he wants to come back to Milwaukee later on, he can pull LeBron and come on back. And, you know, with a little bit more experience and maybe with uh, them having some, you know, a more solid roster to put around him, then maybe they could go back and try it again in about four or five years. But if I was the brass of Milwaukee, I would really consider doing that. Instead of trying to give him a super max deal, yeah, yeah, because that's what the Bucks are trying to do is trying to give him a super max deal. <laughs> I know that's what they're trying to do, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying that you know, I'm saying because sometimes you have to understand, like, uh, me and Anwar were talking, sometimes you have to look at like the economics of your situation, like, we're talking about Dallas, like. Okay, let's say Dallas goes into full tank mode, right? And they end up getting number one pick. Jets somehow luck into three wins. Dallas has two. Well, now Dallas has a dilemma. We got a quarterback that just got his ankle and foot all jacked up that we just paid like $31 million to straight up, uh, you know, uh, franchise tag. We can sign him. And if we sign him, we're going to probably have to sign him for – Twenty-eight million dollars, at least two seasons, right? Because he's not, mm-hmm. he's coming off injury, so I mean, he's gonna take a discount, but it ain't gonna be that much of a discount. It ain't like you're gonna be able to give him fifteen, right? Right. Or and then you know play that game with that Prescott, and then you know if he plays well, then you have to rip up that contract and give him a whole new one worth all, even more money, right? right? Or do you draft Trevor Lawrence, whose whole contract? might be one year of that Prescott's new contract. And that's kind of the same situation that the Bucks need to look at. They're a small market team. I mean, you know, you're going to pony up that much money for one player. I know you got a new building, so that can, you know, but it, that that's no good as long as the pandemic is here because you can't have people in it. So there's one revenue stream that you maybe were looking to be able to use to pay for Giannis that you're not going to have necessarily, you know, it just makes more financial and long-term sense to me for them to just be like, you know what? It's a good deal. We had a good run. We had our best two seasons in a row. Uh, did not have them for us in the playoffs. 
Um, that may be more of our coaching than, you know, our talent. But we have a chance here to not, you know, limit ourselves budget wise and you know, they could do whatever they want with Draymond. They could trade him. They could sign him, whatever. Uh, Wiggins is still young enough and still got enough talent where if you got the right coaching, I felt that he could definitely start to flourish. So that would be something I would really consider. It's not a bad idea. I, uh, it's not a bad idea that, you know, with the, with the, with the way that I honestly think that at this point for the Bucks in this one to two year window, they might need a new coach. Cause uh Budholzer is good in the regular season and the first two rounds, but when it comes to the when it comes to the he got out coached by Eric Spolster. Spolster out coached him by uh he coached circles around him. Right. And and you know if the bugs don't do anything, which we probably know that they won't, but what you said makes a whole lot of sense in terms of, like you said, the economics of the situation. Um, that would be a smart move, but I just think they this it's gonna be you gotta find somebody who's gonna. Get them. It's the top. It's like it seems like top disciples are like Belichick disciples. They, you know, you have you have the guys who have won the titles, and then you have the guys who learned off those guys that won the titles, and they're not as successful. It's kind of like. Um, Take Brett Brown, pop disciple, couldn't get the Sixers over, couldn't get the Sixers to, um, I mean, he was there through the dark ages, but now that the Sixers have moved into the elite, you know, he couldn't get the job done there. Um, Budenholzer, and we saw this with the Hawks too, he... Had you know the season where the Hawks were winning like twenty something in a row, and literally they were they were in the conference finals with the Cavs, mm-hmm. and they you know they were close, but they could not get they could not get through the Cavs and and. Then I think, and then the couple of years with Milwaukee, where you know Milwaukee's been the top seed, but they they get tripped up in the playoffs. So I just think that you know there's nobody out there that I can think of that would be able to get them over the top. So it's like you gotta stick with what you got. But uh, it may be something to look at, especially as we start next season. And two more NBA Nuggets. Um, teams are starting to acquire about Chris Paul. Uh, moving on from Oklahoma City, Phoenix. Looks like they've been trying to put together some type of deal uh, for Chris Paul to get him over there. 
uh, out west. They were one of the surprise teams in the bubble. I think a lot of people uh, see a lot more potential in Phoenix than they have. Uh, uh, for the last couple of seasons, people were basically like Phoenix is basically a place where careers go to die. But after they're showing in the bubble, people are very optimistic about what Phoenix has going on out there now. So uh, Chris Paul, uh, they think might be you know kind of their missing piece. They they want to get an experienced point guard, somebody to be a leader. Um, and, and also, uh, Russell Westbrook has made it known that he wants to get out of Houston. So now teams are going to start lining up, trying to, um, you know, present offers to take Russell Westbrook off the Rockets' hands. Um, I don't know uh, where that's going to be for Russell Westbrook at this point in time in his career. Um, you know, he's starting to, um, you know, slow down a little bit. Um he definitely, you know, wants to go for it to a contender, but you know, I just don't know who who that would be at this point right now. His list right now is the Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, and the Hawks. I'm pretty sure the Hawks are on there because his wife, I think, may like, yeah, that, or is from Georgia yeah. or something like that. Yeah, those the other teams make sense. I don't really see Russell Westbrook fitting in in Milwaukee. I just don't see that as a fit. Seems like it would probably work best with. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you could want two undersized guards on your team though. You can't have Trey Young and Russell Westbrook in the same backcourt. So who's going to guard the tall guard? Um, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, Lakers maybe just because Rondo may be ready to take it to the house after winning the second title uh, with the Lakers. But yeah, I mean, it, it, there's not. And the Clippers, oh my God, can you imagine him and Pat Beverly on the same team? They would definitely guys... not have Pat Beverly on the team anymore. <laughs> right, but but uh, Pat Beverly would probably be going back to Houston to that. Yeah, in that, they, that yeah, that would definitely be the first part of the deal. Would be like, okay, we got to find, we got to get. Patrick Beverly out of here. Uh, so Patrick Beverly's the first player, and then you know draft picks and whatever. Probably, yeah. Because I'm like, dude, you're not getting rid of Kawhi. Um, <laughs> do you send Paul George to Houston? I mean, because we it didn't work in Oklahoma City with Westbrook and George. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a very difficult situation to try to figure out who in the hell can really play well with Russell Westbrook. Right. He's he's not a play well with others point guard. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's not like you take it's not like Chris Paul where you can take him off of any team, plug him on another team, and you know you're not gonna really have to change the dynamics of what you're doing. If you Exception get Russell, Houston. yeah, if you get Russell Westbrook on your team, oh, you're gonna have to change your whole dynamic, homie, because you're not gonna get no, you know, distribute first point guard. You're gonna get somebody who's looking to score, looking to take the ball in amongst the trees, and then oh, as a last resort, I got these other four dudes out here. Right. So. Like. I always kind of likened Russell Westbrook when he was in Oklahoma City with Kevin Durant. I always was like, Kevin Durant was Otis from Temptations and Russell Westbrook was David Ruffin. <laughs> and I always, every time, every time I watch Russell Westbrook, I'm like, I'm, 
I'm the irreverent. These are my temptations. So, um, yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, I don't. The Bucks, I yeah, I mean, because you give up because it's Eric Bledsoe would be the same situation with Trey Young in Atlanta, right? Who's gonna be who's gonna guard the tall guard unless you do a three guard lineup with with um, somebody? Um, but it's yeah, it's not a yeah. You like you said, you got to change the whole dynamic and. And this really came off. Uh, I mean, D'Antoni left, Maury left. They promoted Maury's assistant, basically, who clearly said that he wanted to he wanted to keep the guys together. But you know, Harden and Westbrook were like, eh, I'm not keen on that. And and uh, Steven Silas, I guess that's part of. I mean. Not saying that I know Steven Silas. I met him when I worked at the arena uh, in Charlotte. Steven Silas is a great dude. He knows his he knows his basketball. Of course, he's Paul Silas' son, but um, I don't know if it's that's gonna that's not convincing enough to you know to your biggest stars who are in their early thirties trying to chase that ring. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the free agency, the draft, and the season are all going to be within about three weeks of each other. So uh, December is going to be full of NBA stuff. So uh, just be prepared for that. It's going to be like, man, it's going to come up real fast. Uh, they have given these guys the bare minimum uh, that they've needed to in the, uh, uh, in the CBA to have time off between the seasons. So um, – going to be a lot of NBA talk uh, throughout the holidays and and uh, leading up through uh, December 22nd. So, Dwayne, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to you, sir, for your final thoughts, shout-outs, and thank yous. All right. Uh, shout-outs to shout-outs to you, Don. Always a pleasure. Uh, shout-outs to all the listeners, all the podcast hosts, uh, everybody doing pods in color. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, and I had a final thought um, in regards to uh, uh, Journey Journey Brown, Penn State running back. Um, Sad, sad story. I mean, uh, he was a redshirt junior running back for Penn State. Uh, definitely was getting his opportunity. Uh, just had a regular COVID test, and he ended up there's an issue with uh, his heart. And basically, uh, the, the long name of it is the long name of it is a basically where the heart the walls around your heart uh the muscle mass kind of builds up and it kind of you know if you're doing like strenuous activities it can potentially kill you but uh here to end up you know stopping football uh retiring from football because of this uh, condition 
just want to say, uh, you know, health is health is better is bigger than you know sports, you know, and the support that he's received has been amazing, especially from you know fans of the sport of college football uh, rivals. Uh, rivalries put aside for the sake of humanity uh, t- to get this kid, you know, keep his spirits up. Because, you know, when you have a dream, you're trying to make it to the NFL, you're at a, one of the top programs that can get you there. And, you know, this um, life throws you a curveball. It's just how you handle it. So I really hope that he finds a way to kind of stay close to the game if he really wants to do that or if he wants to go in another direction that's definitely um the path that will guide him in that direction but uh definitely want to give him best wishes um, and it's amazing how one test can change a whole lot of things and you just it's really how you handle that adversity that's the uh, biggest building points for your character. Yeah, definitely want to give uh, best wishes out to Journey Brown, um, you know, on his next endeavor and just in, you know, hopefully being able to live a productive and healthy life. Luckily, they caught this before something catastrophic happened to him. Um, And we'd be talking about a much different uh, situation. Uh, So, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, maybe for the rest of the season, he'll become like a, you know, quality control coach and maybe he can get into the coaching part um, of of football. Um, There's a lot of avenues he could take if he wants to, you know, still be a part of the game uh, by not being a player. So uh, hopefully he explores those and uh, Penn State stay supporting him and his family and everything like that because, yeah, he's going to have definitely going to have a couple of tough times, um, you know, watching the rest of the season play out for his team and not being able to help him and not being in a position at all. You know, it's one thing if you're hurt and you're like, oh, I can't go back out there, but they give, they said in three more weeks I can. Whereas, you know, now he's, you know, going to have to retire from all of those activities. So uh, good luck to him going forward. Um, my final thought will be on the Masters. My best uh, Jim Nance voice there. Um, <laughs> the Masters got canceled back in May, so they have moved it to November. Uh, College Game Day is going to be uh, on site on Saturday. So uh, the Masters are, are trying to take full advantage of uh their place in the sports weekend uh, this weekend. Um, but yeah, so, you know, many consider the greatest golf tournament uh, there is in the United States. Uh, last year was great. Uh, Tiger Woods gave us one last, maybe his final glimpse of greatness uh, to us last year uh, by winning the 2019 Masters. Um, he really hasn't played that well. Uh, in the events that he's played in since the pandemic has begun. Uh, so maybe he can uh, rally it up one more time and give us one more great weekend and everybody will be on Twitter uh, on the edge of their couch tweeting and talking about how good Tiger's looking. And on Sunday, we'll see the Sunday red get draped over by the green jacket one more time. Um, uh, uh, last year was just so exciting. 
uh, that Saturday and Sunday he put together. Um, got people buzzing. And uh, just for a minute there, man, it felt like it was, you know, 2000, 2000, 2004 again uh, when it came to golf and Tiger Woods. Just, you know, having everybody in the whole country captivated on every shot. So. I'm looking forward to the Masters this year. Um, if you want to know how good your high-definition TV is, watch the Masters. <laughs> uh, whatever 4K you got, it will get pushed to the limit with all those uh, with all that green out there in Augusta. So one of the best-looking things that they've ever put on television in the high-definition era is just uh, the Masters. So I really love watching that. And uh, uh, it's just a special tournament. As much as I don't watch golf, I'm going to turn my TV on and I'm going to take a look at that just just to see how, just to take a look at the pictures that test my TV out just for that. Yeah, man. Yeah, it'll definitely do it. Um, I'd just like to give a shout out to Dwayne for joining me once again here on Know the Score. Give a shout out to everybody here on the CSPN, all the podcasters, um, everybody who's involved with the WrestleCast and uh, the push, uh, including Dwayne here. You can catch him on the push as well. Hear his thoughts on uh, professional wrestling, comic book chronicles. Um, continue to check those guys out as well here on the CSPN. We definitely appreciate it. You can uh, help support the show by becoming a patron on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. Uh, there we have more exclusive content. You can hear more sports talk, more wrestling talk over on our Patreon page. So please uh, join up, become a $3 or $5 tier member, and you'll get all the extra content uh, that we put out on our Patreon page. You can also support the podcast by going over to CSPN.us, clicking on the tab that says keep our podcast free, do any type of shopping with any of those sponsors in that drop down menu. Some of your purchase will come back to the CSPN to keep know the score and all of our shows here on the network free of charge each and every week. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.